There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The interview you're about to hear was recorded a couple of weeks ago, feels like years, before anything relating to coronavirus was on any of our minds. So there's no mention of the pandemic and you can take it that some of Alison's plans, such as friends coming to visit from foreign climates, may have changed in the interim. But I hope you enjoy this little break from the reality we're now living in. Hello and welcome to another episode of How To Be Sound, the podcast where I, Rosemary McCabe, speak to people that I think may be sounder than I am, slightly. If you don't already, I would love if you would consider signing up to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash rosemarymccabe with an A on my Mac. It's where I share a whole lot of my writing, but it also helps me to make this podcast, keep this podcast running, to paraphrase an Arcade Fire song. Anyway, today's guest is radio presenter Alison Curtis. Alison, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me. Not at all. Thank you for the invite. So, Alison, I mean, people will probably know you as one of the... I probably would say few female voices that has been consistently on Irish radio for the past how long? Um, I don't want to age myself, but I've been in radio since I moved here 20 years ago, 21 years ago this month. But I've been on air since 02, basically consistently, other than to take a little break to make a human and came back. So that's kind of it. Yeah, it's a long time. Make a human. Well done. Yeah, well done me. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's no insignificant feat. How did you... um, I mean, this is this is probably going to sound slightly xenophobic and I'm 100% going to barrel my way through and say it anyway. But how did you come here and end up getting a job on radio when it's, you know, it's quite difficult for, for women to get into radio, especially in 2002? It was very male dominated when I started. So I got here in February 99 and I thought I'll stay until September because I was going to do a postgrad from U of T in Glasgow and I was going to go and do two years there and then back to Canada. But obviously that didn't happen because it's currently 2020 and I'm (laughs) sitting here with you. Um, But basically I joined one of those agencies just to get temp work and I was brought in as the PA to the then CEO of Today FM which had just turned to from Radio Ireland. And I was sitting there and like, God, I was the world's worst PA. And I he actually, when he left the company a good few years ago now to go back to RT, he was like, I would like to congratulate and thank the world's worst PA, Alison Curtis, because he would literally like, you know, he'd say, can I get a tea? And I would turn around and go, you've got legs. And he was like, oh my God, Alison, that's part of the job description. <laughs> I'm like, what? But throughout that job, I was watching radio. I didn't know who Ian Dempsey was. He had just joined the station as well. I certainly didn't know who Eamon Dunphy was. But I was watching it and just knew, like literally said to the CEO at one stage, look, I've got a a degree. I'm a a smart chick. There's loads of women on air in Canada. You don't seem to have any. I would like a show and literally thought I would just jump from, you know, making his tea or not making his tea as the (laughs) case was to getting my own show. So I just watched radio and how it functioned over maybe only about six months and then 
then an opportunity came up to work on the Ian Dempsey Breakfast Show. And I went there and I was there for 10 years. But during that time, I pushed the CEO for my own show again on the basis that there was, I think there wasn't a single woman presenting. Breffney Clack had maybe the love hour on the weekends, but until Amory Kelly joined the early breakfast show as in the 5 to 7 a.m., there weren't any. And then when I was on the alternative music show I had for nine years, Last Splash, there was just the two of us. And it was just the two of us for many, many years. And then when she left, I was the only host on. Now, other female personalities were coming through. You had Mairead Ronan and um, you had Jenny Kelly on Ray Darcy's show, but they weren't hosts of their own yeah. show. And I wanted to be a host. <laughs> I wanted to drive that desk. So yeah, it was it was interesting time for sure. And it's completely different now. And do you have any thoughts about why no one had ever done what you did before? As in like that women hadn't come in and gone, you don't have any women on air and I want to be that woman. Suppose suppose what I'm getting at is, do you think it's because you're not Irish in a way? Maybe. That you had a confidence that... Maybe. And we I also had discussions with friends and staff members where I go, oh, it's time to go for my raise. And they're like, what? And I was like, oh yeah, I do that every year. I'm like, my value increases every year. And they're like, this is not... Now I was very polite about it and very kind of you know, soft about going for that. But I was determined in my own mind that I obviously, you know, my value was increasing, my knowledge was increasing. So my pay package should. So that that stood to me when I, in the first few years going, God, why are they not going? There was a difference there for sure. Mm. But I wouldn't say I'm like, I wouldn't say I was ever like overly brash in the way that I think mm, a lot mm. of people associate North Americans being. Like Canadians are obviously the more passive cousins of, you know, <laughs> and more passive aggressive cousins of Americans. But <laughs> I, I guess it wasn't built in that that was just a standard thing you did in your employment. You went and looked. So I was I was amazed when people didn't do that. But as far as women on air, like I suppose RTE have always had a strong and current affairs has always had strong female voices like Marion Finucane. What like what an incredible person. And actually, I was having dinner with my sister early January. She was visiting when the news broke and I did cry a little. And I'm mm. not a crier because she meant so much to so many people and she did blaze a trail. So I think that they've been better commercial radio stations. I don't know why we were slow to kind of jump on it. Like we are infinitely better for sure. Still male dominated, but we are much Mm. better than when I started 20 years ago. Yeah. I do think sometimes though radio is slightly unfairly maligned because it's very obvious that radio is male dominated because when you turn on any radio station in Ireland, there is a very strong chance you're going to hear a male voice. Mm. But what we kind of overlook sometimes is that there are a lot of industries that are very, very male dominated, but we just don't hear them on the radio. You know what I mean? That's true, actually. We're not so plugged into, you know, what does the field look like when you get to a certain level in accountancy or what does the field look like when you get to a certain level in law? Well, see, this... There was this idea, and this was the basis for an argument to not have women on air for a long time. And I did study linguistics as part of an anthropology degree in U of T. And there was a study done that always stood in my mind, whereby they gave, and you probably know about this because, you know, being feminist and all like I am, that there was a study given to a group of people and they gave men and women the exact same number of words to say, but maybe different words so that people weren't picking up on that. And every, both men and women listened to this study and everyone said, oh God, she's talking way much. Like she's talking Mm. so much more. Mm. And it's all about timbre, I suppose, and voice. But that was always said to me when I was pitching for a show that people were like, women don't like women on air. And actually a lot of people don't like women on air, but it's not true. And throughout my 
career on radio, I've moved, you know, from like a, an evening show to a weeknight show to an early breakfast show. And then to my, where I really feel I'm at my best and at my home right now, my weekend breakfast show. And I've always had a 50, 50 split of when the JNLRs come through or 47, you know, split, Mm. but it's very much down the middle. So I don't think women mind my voice at all. And I don't know, like, I don't know where, you know, that study was years and years ago, but I mean, that could be an attitude, you know, attitude thing that's changed, of course, over the course of time. So, I mean, I I can't help but think if you had surveyed the Irish public in 1945, right, and asked them, did they like sushi? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, how many people would have said yes? Yes, exactly. Or avocados. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I mean, we didn't have the opportunity to hear, to hear women on radio. We became so used to only hearing authoritative male voices mm-hmm. that in a way, I think we got used to the idea that authority was male. I don't know if you've seen I've spoken about this before, I think, on the podcast, but you know that documentary on Netflix, um, The Seekers, I think it's called? Oh, yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. About the, the, there's a nun, I think, in Boston who goes missing and then there was a whole investigation about did she go missing because she was about to report on sexual abuse within the church? And yeah. There's this whole kind of conspiracy, but it's narrated almost exclusively by women because she taught in a girl's school. Mm-hmm. So it's narrated by her students and then it's narrated by a, a female reporter who worked in the story. And there's one male voice. And I watched it and I realized on about episode three that I had kind of been subconsciously waiting for a male voice to come and explain to me what was going on. Really? That I felt like there was yeah. no narrator yeah. because there was no male narrator. It's interesting. And like something, you know, very much coupled with this has happened numerous times since I've moved to Ireland as I do realize how different men were perceived and their role in the family was so different between Canada and here. And I like my, you know, I was born in the 70s. And my dad was, my mom basically was like, I'm looking after what goes into them. You look after what comes out, basically. So he did the nappies. And because we were twins, and actually my mother had had a stroke before we were born, so her left hand wasn't great. So changing those nappies back in the 70s with two kids. She had a stroke and then she had twins. Yeah. So like if, you know, obviously if my sister had at the same time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like not good. But he was very involved, like really, really involved. And when I talk to friends that are the same age as me, they're like, oh my God, my dad wouldn't haven't even known what a nappy was. So I do think that there, like, I did come from an, a time and a place in Canada where we were a little bit, like, I don't want to say further ahead, but that's based on my conversations I'm having with Irish people who grew up in Ireland, that we, you know, and even when it comes to being like a multicultural society, like, I really was struck when I first moved here. I was like, oh my God, everybody does look the same. <laughs> like, mm. and I hope that doesn't come across as bad, but I was used to growing up basically in a Benetton ad in Canada. So, and I love that. And a friend of mine from Japan originally, she grew up in Canada, was here recently, and is probably the first Asian person that was in my home that, you know, and even my friend Kokor was like, God, this country is white when she got off the plane. She's like, oh my God, coming from California. But like, it was good for Joan. And I was like, this is Japan. And this is, she's from Jap- Japan. And we were talking about Japanese food and what, you know, and then her daughter's coming next month. And that'll be great from the exact same age for my sis- my daughter to see her culture more. Yeah. So I don't know what my original point was there. But well, basically, I, mean, I think we have, like, I did come from a time that was different for sure. Yeah. And, and like Ireland has been very homogenous and in a way has kind of become multicultural much slower 
than other countries. And I think that's probably to do with a lot of the immigration that we've seen mm. have been from the same countries. So, you know, there were certain years where you'd go, there was a huge influx of people from Nigeria, there was yeah. a huge influx of people from Sudan. And then you end up almost having a kind of a ghettoized mm. that people don't mix as, as much. Well. Yeah, yeah. And like probably we're not as welcoming. But also I think the Catholic school system has a lot to do with it as mm. well. That they, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily been going to the same schools as yeah. kids who've been born in Ireland. I think of Ireland as like an extremely welcoming country. I do. And whenever racism comes up in conversation, I do like my immediate thing is like, well, Ireland's not racist. We're not like it's not a racist place. But, you know, obviously that's a blanket statement and we can be like people can be. But I think of Ireland as being really welcoming. And I do think of Ireland as a really modern place. And that fact that we've adapted so quickly, like so many changes. And so like since I've been here, marriage referendum, abortion, Mm. all of that has proof that we are resilient in a modern country and people always ask me why have I not gone back to Canada because it's like people like everyone's moving to Canada and especially in the worst you know 07 to mm-hmm. kind of 2010 everyone's like everyone I know is going to Canada why are you not I'm like because this is great country like Irish people are so much fun spur of the moment Canadians are I hope I don't offend your Canadian audience boring bland and we're very like if you if I said to you Rosemary let's go for you know a drink you'd be like in Canada I'd be like well I'm free after book club on Wednesday in three weeks whereas like here we're like let's go now like so I love I love Irish people. And I so feel personally why. attacked by this because if you asked me to go for a drink, I'd be like, no, <laughs> I do not do spontaneity. No, thanks. <laughs> but I love Ireland and a lot of people are like, why have you not gone back? Because people, people here keep me definitely. But what, but what about Justin Trudeau? I know. He looks better with the beard, I have to say. I like that. Oh God, I haven't seen him lately. I, <laughs> I did listen to a very interesting episode of Call Your Girlfriend where they were basically calling him a fake liberal. I know. And they interviewed a whole load of Canadians about it where basically, you know, I think there was there was a lot of opinion coming from within Canada that they're like, everyone's really fetishizing him in yes. a way that I think people were probably fetishizing Leo Varadkar for a while. And they're like, he's yeah. gay. And he's attractive. So he's really liberal. Yeah. And you're like, that's those two things don't always go together. Look I at know. Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's not a fact. Well, it's always been held against him that he came from a privilege. Like, I mean, his father was, you know, prime minister for years and dated Kim Cattrall and loads of people and I stuff. I didn't know that. Yeah. So like, I think that people have always been kind of like, oh, he's a privileged, privileged boy. But anyway. Well, often though, being privileged gives you the the freedom and the ability to be more liberal like yeah. you can be more accepting of people if you've never had to struggle really exactly and you've never felt like you fought for jobs with immigrants yeah. or you've you know had to vie for space with people from a different of course you can be yeah. really accepting and welcoming and lovely absolutely yeah and that was something that came up a lot in conversation in university because pretty much everybody like U of T was not I don't want to say elite but you know you had to graduate from high school to with really high grades to get into that and then it was divided by so yes elite so it was divided by <laughs> colleges and then the college I ended up at you, you needed really high grades so loads of us talking during that time about privilege and what it meant to be there and you know the irony of it all is like these privileged kids sitting there talking about how lovely our life is basically but yeah you know you're absolutely right with that for sure what were some of the biggest culture shocks coming from Canada to Ireland everyone worrying about the immersion all the time I was like what the hell is the bloody immersion <laughs> um I did. Honestly, I thought drinking when I first moved here, because as a student, like I didn't personally drink in my early 20s at all, really. And it was only a couple times a year. And like the first time I got really toasted was like I was about 23. But when I say that to people here, most of them are like, I was 14. I'm like, what? Um, but when I first moved here, I have such a memory of leaving work. I was still working as the PA at Today FM a Wednesday evening and seeing people struggle getting their change into the bus 
thingy. And I was like, oh my God, it's like literally six o'clock on a Wednesday. What is happening to these people? Fast forward about three months and that's me going, take me to Glass Nevin, please. <laughs> How much to Glass Nevin? So I think it was that. It was like, I didn't, it is, and I know that's a, such a stereotype and it's completely changed now. And I really think if you look at people that are under a certain age now, they're not interested in it the way we were mm-hmm. when we were in our 20s. Like they're more interested in gym and healthy eating and hiking and outdoors. It's totally different. Yeah. But when I moved here, it wasn't. Like the average kind of 20-year-old was getting pretty smashed and stuff. So I, I think that that took me. And my tolerance was so low. And mm. I also remember ordering a Sprite one a few nights and people were like, that is such a waste of an evening. What are you doing? I was like, I'll just have this to start. And they're like, no, you're not. Or if I left a drink once, there's a horrible bar on the keys and there was like a fire alarm I was like oh my god out my pint was like pretty full and my friend's like you can't leave that I'm like but we could die in a fire I'm just gonna leave it got my losses I think that also speaks to Irish people's attitudes to fire alarms though yes yes the thing I think the nonchalant about a lot of things but the one thing that I think and I always say this about why I settled in really well and when I go back to Canada now I'm definitely it's a square and I'm a circle like it's definitely I'm not a fit at all anymore but I think I never liked authority I never liked rules I was never on time and all these things appealed to me like and and as they're very Irish things never on time no it wasn't very Irish but Irish people as a collective I feel are such strong independent thinkers and I was talking to a friend in Canada a few years ago and his he was born in Belfast so were all his older siblings and his parents were Irish but they settled in Canada and he's like what do you think it is I was like it's just so different. Like when you come to Canada, like it's just everything's so rule orientated. Everything is just being being the good guy or everything just makes sense or, you know, you don't go against the grain and everything's polite. And I was like, what do you think it is? Like, and he's like, I think that North Americans lack common sense. And I think we move as a mob mentality. Whereas in Ireland, you know, we're not like, if you see what's reported in the news and Canada, people are like, they do those tag, and you know this from living in the States temporarily, they do these tags going, next up, how water can kill you. And everyone's like, oh my God, how can water kill me? Whereas Irish people be like, fuck that or whatever. <laughs> so we, even the way we digest our news and it's presented to us, it's discerning. Like we know, like we're a smart, collectively smart, independent thinking nation. And I think that mm-hmm. is the big difference when I go back to Canada. And recently there was, I was at my cousin's place in Allure, which is a lovely, very scenic town. And there was a big festival happening. And in the morning, my cousin goes down with all these lawn chairs and my husband, Tony, he's Irish. And I are like, what's he going with these? They go down and set out these freaking chairs early in the morning and then go home and make breakfast and do whatever. And they're guaranteed those chairs will be exactly where they left them. And at the festival, everybody gets these drink tokens and these little mugs, like tiny mugs, and you're two beers at a time, cue really neatly. And I was like, this is driving me nuts. Like, I was like, I was like, this is insane. Really, really hot day, and only three queues were open. And I was like, there's such an Irish person. I was like, 20 people behind. And I was like, are you going to open this queue? <laughs> Shout to the woman behind the bar. They open it, and everyone's just standing there politely. I was like, come on, come on, like, and roll up to the queue. They're just so, like, so about rules so about rules so I definitely I don't fit that anymore like when I have an Aer Lingus flight back after being in Canada for three weeks I literally just want to get on air and scream F-U-C-K like I just want to be rude (laughs) it's very polite but it is a lifestyle that is gorgeous over there and there Mm. is you know healthcare that is highly admirable you know people are generally I'm doing these sweeping comments but considerate so there is lovely things and like space as we were saying earlier like the sense of space over there is just amazing like houses and gardens around so I do miss that side of things but I don't miss the people as much do you have Canadian subscribers (laughs) um I don't think I mean I'm sure I do but I, I, I honestly think most of my audience 
no matter where they are in the world is Irish. Yeah. You know, because it's that's kind of how you hear about yeah, me or, you know, what appeals. I don't know. Did you see Hannah Gadsby when she was here a couple of months ago, the comedian? I didn't see her or know her, though. Um, she has a whole bit about Americans and about how kind of Americans and North Americans more generally can't understand something if it doesn't directly apply to them. So she said, you know, when you'll say a word to someone, you'll say, I was walking down the path. Yeah. And they can't in their heads go walking down the walk of path me. And they're like, what's a path? You know that they're really yeah. like like if, if if this doesn't directly apply. What did she say? She said North Americans are North Americans are the white men of culture, right? The, okay. the straight white men of culture that they like they can't understand anything if it's not unless about it directly applies to them. Yeah, that was quite funny like and quite, th- quite apt, probably. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And another thing that was a cultural thing for me when I first moved here is that I'd be like, oh, how are you guys? And then whoever I was speaking to would be like, grand, grand, but how are you? And like right back to me, I was like, do they don't want to talk about themselves for 15 minutes and tell me like, you know, the trauma they had when they were younger, the medication that they're currently taking, like all this stuff that North Americans would kind of tend to be insular like, or, or in looking inwards kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas Irish people were much more like, grand, 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 don't talk about me. Don't talk about me. It's under the carpet, well under the carpet. Don't talk about me. So that took a while for me to kind of go. Are they are they really interested in me or do they not want to talk about themselves? Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, you do find out a lot about North Americans very quickly. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, fascinating if you're nosy, which I am. Yes. But then after a certain point, you're like, I want to talk about myself mm. now. Yeah. Like, I want to tell you some things. I've been thinking of a really funny story for the last 10 minutes and you're not letting me tell it. <laughs> and I'm trying to hold it in my brain. Yeah, no, that was different for me. I was like, oh, what? what's this about now? Like they're deflecting or not speaking about themselves. What was it like for you then when you did get your own radio show or you did get to be on air? Yeah. Was it kind of, I mean, the answer to this is probably no. Was it smooth sailing or, you know, did you have ups and downs? Was there resistance from within? Um, yeah, there were. I suppose I had been on air on Phantom FM, which is a pirate radio station. And that was a great learning ground because, you know, it started out literally in a shed that is probably one eighth of the size of the room we're sitting in right now and in someone's backyard with no access to a toilet. So it was not glamorous. 
And then we moved to the top of Grafton Street and then above Whelan's, which is where they were in Dublin for a really long time. So that was a great kind of training ground and learning. And it was all music based shows that I presented. And Ian Dempsey, who I worked with for 10 years, knew my dirty little secret, but no one else in the station really knew, except for the fact that I didn't change my name. And I was North American sounding. So if they found the station, they'd put two and two together. But he had such a long career on Pirates before, which is what radio was based, basically, other than RT in Ireland for so long was Pirate Stations. So he's really supportive of it. But then I went to eventually, uh, Willie O'Reilly, who's now out at RT, but was the then CEO, I was like, come on. And literally, the time slot I got would not be on a commercial radio station considered high risk at all. So it was started out at 11 till nine on a Sunday night, the last splash. And I loved it so much. And I was so dedicated to it. And even though I worked on Ian's show from six in the morning, I would often stay there till four or whatever, five to record bands that I wanted to promote Irish bands or whoever, or do interviews. And I put a lot of work into those two hours and I loved it. And when I took up and then it moved from eight till 10, about two years after, but when I took it up, it was maybe a listenership of 4,000 and at its peak which wouldn't happen in these day and this day and age now with netflix or mm. anything like that or anything on demand it was about 42 41,000 which no there's no evening show in ireland that has that at the moment mm. that i'm aware of because obviously people's attention is divided amongst other platforms so i loved it i really loved it but i suppose as you get older your interests kind of change and I I taught a class not that long ago but I was like if I ever have to interview a band again I'll just I don't know what I'll do but it just I outgrew it so doing a nighttime show which was still a music show we got to bring in other features which was fun and then obviously early breakfast is very mainstream and you're doing news and that's where it kind of grew and then I suppose after having my daughter getting the weekend slot was ideal because it was it's very much about families it's very much about what to do and I loved it and again it grew I picked it up Martin King did present it from Virgin Media for maybe 10 years. I picked it up about 100 and grew it to 145, 146. So it is a lovely time slot, those two time slots to be on air. Mm. And I do love it. But it's not like there are, there were definitely ups and downs for sure. And it is very hard, as you said at the very beginning, to, for anybody, maybe not just women, but for men as well, to sustain a very long time on air now. And even from a Mm. male perspective, there wouldn't be that many now currently that have been on air for a long time either so. yeah I mean I I think it's very difficult in 2020 to main, to keep people's interests yeah in in you and you know I think as we're as a society getting more and more personality driven mm-hmm. that like people will follow individuals and they will listen to shows because they like the person who presents yep. them yeah in a way that maybe 10 years ago they would have been more I listen to this because it's current affairs yeah or I'm loyal to a station whereas now people probably you know, flick around a lot more. Mm. And then like podcasting is amazing. I do love it. And I'm a podcast listener myself. But when people can get what they want exactly when they want it on demand, you know, although I will say other countries, probably their radio life or health of radio is suffering more than in Ireland, because I really feel in Ireland, people are still avid radio listeners, like listenership figures wouldn't make the cover of newspapers in Canada, that's for sure. And people are still very loyal to stations and shows. So yeah, I mean, we are pulled in all different directions now, though, with podcasting and Spotify and everything that you can Mm. get what you want when you want it kind of thing. What podcast do you listen to? Just as a little, you you landed that nugget there, so I feel like um, I have to ask. You don't have to say mine. I, I, well, I have heard yours, of course. I'm not a huge Irish subscriber to podcast. Like I went, and maybe this is sometimes, in, like I would say about homesickness with Canada, rarely turns its head, but sometimes it does. And I got hooked on a podcast called um, Missing and Murdered, which is very 
dark. Did you did you hear that one? I yeah. love Missing Murders. And Connie Walker was the journalist from the CBC that put it all together. And it's basically, for anyone who doesn't know, it's about exploring why there were so many tragic cases of Native North American women on the particular stretch of highway in Vancouver, in BC, in Canada. And then that led me on to reading um, someone or listening to someone know something. And Dave Ridgen is an incredible, and his style of how he treats his subjects and how he treats the subject is just I really haven't heard it anywhere else. Like he is remarkable and he starts these cases and they can go on for years. And the first one was the Mississippi one that he first started following a man whose brother was killed by the KKK and they knew the person that did it. And as a result of his podcast, this man eventually now 45, 50 years later was incarcerated and is what they do is amazing. So that would be my, what I like to kind of listen to, I suppose. But I really think we've got such variety now. Like we're, we're really, it's quite remarkable. And then Serial, do you know the Serial podcast? Literally C-E-R-E-A-L about food. No. That is hilarious. So it's obviously they came up with it off the back of Serial, uh, starting with an S. And it's just two dudes talking about all the, like analyzing different kinds of Serial. It's, those ones are so irrelevant and so funny to just tap into every so often as well. So That would also speak to a current quest I'm on to find Kellogg's Frost wheats oh, yeah. so I've not been able to find them in a supermarket anywhere in about really? two months because I thought that's so hard to find I got like, very into them in uh, America yeah you know they have like three Everything. aisles full of cereals literally basically. sugar yeah in a yeah. cardboard box one of my proudest Twitter moments was when I tweeted about Dave Ridgen and he liked it oh wow I think I said all I want in life is for a man to speak to me the way Dave Ridgen speaks to the dogs <laughs> when he encounters dogs and he's like hey buddy he's adorable and Connie he's, liked one of mine and the same thing happened I was like oh my god I love Connie Walker but they're really powerful powerful mm. podcasts so. yeah those ones are lovely and I mean there's something really nice as well I think it's in um, Saskatchewan there's some accent up there in Canada that sounds slightly Irish so there are these moments and I think it's probably because yeah a group of Irish people emigrated and the accents have kind of morphed yeah. and evolved but there is a really specific accent that I occasionally go is that an Irish and then I'm like no it's not it's, it's not it's Newfoundland a, you're thinking of is it it's no. which Newfoundland yes maybe yeah oh no that's entirely it's like, amazing it's the most bizarre thing and and it's like it's very Irish still because it's literally settled all by Irish people, and it's like it's five out four hours by plane to Newfoundland or something, or three maybe even from here. So it's really close. <laughs> I'm so terrible at uh, North American geography. I was staying in Fort Wayne, and I am following this account on Instagram called Shasico Studio, and they do really incredible eyebrows, right? Ridiculous. <laughs> and I, because Indiana is in the Midwest. I had some, I thought this was West. Yeah. So I was like, we're really near Portland and Seattle. That's not true. No. And so I I looked up this studio and it was in British Columbia. And I was like, I wonder how long it would take me to drive. (laughs) To drive. 12 hours. It's something like 35 hours. I looked it up. I put it into Google Maps and I was so shocked. Is it 35? I would have thought, well, yeah, probably a good 20. Yeah. it was 30. It was a lot anyway. But that's, okay, another culture shock when I first moved here is one of the first years I was like, I've got to go to Galway. I'll, I'll be back tonight, basically. I was like, What? You cross the country, you go to Galway and back in a day. That is insane. I'm like, well, not really, but that would be from... This, you know, we're so used to big distances in Canada mm-hmm. and we have a family cottage that was three hours, three and a half hours from where I was studying in university. And I often would pop in the car, go down, mow a lawn and pop back to Toronto in time for bevies with my friends or something. So yeah, I really yeah. was like, what's always closer? Like, I don't understand this. Yeah. I'm currently listening to a podcast called Boomtown about the oil boom in West Texas um, right. and in the Permian Basin, basically where they're doing a whole load of fracking and, you know, they're experiencing a huge oil boom kind of reminiscent of what they had in the 50s and 60s. But there are moments where he talks about, like, the next town over, an hour and a half drive or something, and I'm like, what? (laughs) 
And it's kind of like that that I just I forget. Know. Like that I think this Permian Basin is going to be like the size of Offaly. No. And when in fact it's probably the size of Ireland. Because yeah. Texas is, or like Texas the state is three times the size of Ireland, I think. Yeah. And so I mean, Ireland fits in Lake Superior, which is one of the five great lakes <laughs> between Canada and America. Um, but yeah, no. And actually the other thing that I was struck by as well was just how diverse accents were in Ireland. And I'm like, that's mental. Like literally Dublin 1 to Dublin 2. And yet mm. you could travel across all of Canada, a six-hour plane ride. And generally speaking, we're pretty consistent. Like you've got an Ottawa Valley, which is our capital accent. You've got Newfoundland. But that's kind of it. We're kind of consistent. You're like, how can you go a six-hour plane ride and all sound the same, but you cross the Liffey? And it's like... It's totally different. Yeah. And how proud people are too. Like the first few years I was on air I, or on Today FM, I'd answer phones sometimes or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, so Rosemary, you're from Dublin. Well, now originally Offaly or whatever. <laughs> you're yeah, like, yeah. It's so important. And I was like, why is this so important? But now I really get it and I understand why it is. And I think it's really lovely. Now that you do a weekend show, are you to- like, do you do nothing Monday to Friday? Nothing. Eyebrows. <laughs> That's it. I do my eyebrows for five days. It is. I love it. And a lot of people kind of like, oh, you have to work weekends. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. But Aldi is completely free on a Monday morning. So I try to be good, but you know yourself, like, you know, I am self-employed and Mm. you know, I do have other things that I do and you have to be disciplined. And for a while I was just answering emails every day of the week Mm. and doing calls and you know, you're chasing things. And then I was like, no, I really need to make Monday, Tuesday kind of those are free zones. And then also I find when you work in this, I hope this doesn't come across in the bad way, but when you work in an entertainment industry, you're, anytime you're reading a book or watching a show or looking at something, you're kind of also thinking how you could do something with it. So you're never fully off in that respect. Mm, but thankfully, mm. it's not, you know, brain surgery or exhausting in that way. So I would find that I'd often kind of, you know, have my phone with me to make note of things. But as far as getting the show prepped and put together, I do try and make that a Wednesday to kind of Sunday thing. Okay, so, yeah. Because yeah. I feel like, I mean, I know that... In Ireland, we love to discuss the salaries of RTE presenters. I know. <laughs> and I I always felt kind of sorry for Marion Fanuka. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't. She was earning a lot of money, you mm-hmm. know, and that's great. But I feel like people were very much like, how can she be earning that money for four hours work? Yeah. And that's not really how it works. I know. And people are always like, so, so just, that's grand. So what do you do for the other five days? And you're like, we still work on the show. I don't just turn up and miraculously hope that it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's, a, it is, I do love it so much as an industry. And I think that you'd have to, or you wouldn't survive it that long. And like now that the JNLRs, the figures that tell us who's listening, who isn't come out every three months, I have lots of friends that were in radio when I started that have gone on to do other things. And they're like, Alison, I just wouldn't have the skin for it. I wouldn't have the stamina for that kind of public judgment every three months like they mm. just we couldn't handle that but I love it so much and I love what it does as a medium is you connect with people right away and my favorite messages that I get are like you say hello to my wife she's just had her third child you said hello to when we had our first child and our second child and, and you know all these birthdays and there's memories of like you know people shared memories if that makes sense so it's like I remember when you said this and you said that and I actually always kind of remember it as well and I love it like I do I do really love it like you'd have to or yeah. else you know yeah, well, get you out of the game yeah you, know? you wouldn't be in it anymore Irish people love us say hello on the radio don't they oh my god it's me I could do it for three hours every Saturday and Sunday morning <laughs> but through that show I've really learned so much about how we have changed as a society as well like that you know lots of small businesses are a big part of the show and how we've completely you know kind of taken back the food industry and how we want you know to be proud of our home produce and you know all these things and sustainability and all that kind of stuff it's really broadened right out and I've learned so much through people just contacting me on my social channels or online it's a lovely community you know mm. definitely it is if you were going to give yourself a whole lot of extra work and do a podcast have you ever thought about like that you'd like to do a podcast on 
X. Yeah, I have. I, I feel I need to definitely consider doing that and get my act together because I got a lovely piece of machinery about a year and a half ago. It's been out of the box three times. But and also I have to stop blaming my kid, right? I'm like, oh, she's got all these after school. I don't have time. I do. I'm not a mother of five. Like, she's you know, 18 now. Yeah, she's 25. (laughs) She's eight going on 15. But I always thought it would be amazing to get a proper, like Dave Ridgen, investigative podcast on the mother and baby homes. I think that that would be something that we could all learn a lot from. Mm -hmm. It'd be very painful for a lot of people to listen to. But I think if it's done extremely well, you know, it'd be quite powerful for sure. Mm. But it's one of those things as well that it would be very expensive. Like it would take a long time. It would be yeah. expensive to produce because of the time it would take. Exactly. Like who would actually invest in going, yeah. I'm going to pay you a salary for two years to create this podcast. And actually we went to a podcast, a Learning Waves conference not that long ago and Eamon Dunphy was talking and he was saying that it took two years to get Tesco, Tesco Finest. I don't know if they still sponsor him, to sponsor it. And and he was talking about the upstart, you know, financial um you know, things that he had to invest in it. And you're like, nobody has 50 grand or mm. they can't just, well, you did Dumpy, but like, you can't just decide to do that. So it is very hard and it's yeah. investigative journalism as well, which I'm not trained in. So, but I think that that's something Ireland was pretty much crying out for, I'd say. Yeah. And I think Ireland has a great history for investigative journalism that they has do. kind of fallen by, not fallen by the wayside, but it's kind of disappeared slightly with the recession, I think. And as mm. newspapers have got less and less money to send people on longer yeah. investigative pieces, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It just doesn't happen anymore. But like RT, you know, current affairs is remarkable what they achieve mm. every year. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, incredible. Alison, where can people find you, follow you, listen to you? Today FM, weekends, 8 till 11 a.m. And then online, I'm the same everywhere, at Alison Today FM on Twitter and Instagram. So, Do you ever worry that if you left Today FM, you'd have to entirely rebrand? Well, see, I was Alison Curtis for a long time. And I was like, Let's, I'll just stick Today FM and see if it grows, which apparently it didn't. My Instagram is just pathetic. It's just not growing at all. Twitter, I don't know how you find about Twitter now, but I think I still really think it's a valuable resource for me to put a show together and contact people but I don't know if people are jumping on it as much anymore I love Twitter for Twitter to me is almost like WhatsApp do you know what I mean like like, like I love it for having chats and you know sometimes I'll hop on and I'll kind of get into a conversation about something that I'm watching or Mm. you know current current affairs maybe a little bit of politics but I don't find in terms of it doesn't feel like it drives very many people to listen to my podcast or to my page. It's changed a lot. Then again, you know what? I'm currently crowdfunding for my first book that I'm writing. So I'm I'm having a publisher with Unbound, which is a UK-based publisher, and they work by crowdfunding the initial publishing cost. And then they have a, a, a different kind of profit split. So it's just like a traditional publisher, except for they don't, the finances are done to them slightly differently. Sounds good. But, and the main driver has been Twitter. Really? Which I would never have thought. I would have thought it would have been Instagram because yeah. Instagram is where I have my biggest kind of most engaged Yeah, see, audience. I find Instagram really a kind space. And I suppose yes, that's yeah. obviously who I'm choosing to follow. And I get lots of great like content ideas and recipes and all sorts of things. I love it. But it's really, I find it's judging... Like my audience on the weekend on a Saturday is around 136, 137 at the moment. But my Instagram following is a fraction of that, even mm. though I've said the handle loads of times. So that does say to me that's still quite a young maybe thing. I don't know. I think it's quite young, but I also think people more and more are looking at Instagram for kind of inspiration or for kind of a magazine type yeah. um, escapism. Yeah. So Twitter is kind of where they go for like talk and current affairs and like, quote unquote real talk mm-hmm. and Instagram is where they go to look at pretty it's pictures it's fascinating actually someone's doing yeah. a thesis on this somewhere in the world I know they are 
Well, I'm sure there's loads of people doing theses on them. I just hope one yeah. of them's good. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to me. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you to Liam Garrity, my producer, whose own podcast, Meet Your Maker. You can listen to wherever you're listening to this or you can get it at meetyourmaker.ie. As I mentioned at the top, but I'll mention it again, please do consider subscribing to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash McCabe with an A in my Mac. You'll get three exclusive essays minimum each week, one video each month. You'll get mini-sodes, mini-episodes of the podcast and more that's on patreon.com and lastly please rate review and subscribe on itunes it really helps other people discover the podcast and helps me feel better about the work that i'm doing thank you bye how to be sound is a member of the warren the home of great irish podcasts for more including my podcast the critter shed see the warren.ie a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.